Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It was clearly a mixed bag of emotions for the Nationals over the last couple of days. We've got Mike Rizzo alone having a very strange roller coaster of a weekend. Uh, Todd had his own roller coaster too, which we will get to because he had a very big lesson that he learned this past weekend when it comes to breaking news in baseball. Nats, if we, you know, while we're recording this, one three out of four, but you know, overall the record doesn't continue to put them in the right direction when it comes to the postseason. Todd Dibus. Chase Hughes, Nick Ashey with you here on the Nats Talk Podcast. I, most important thing is looking long-term with this, and we've been having this conversation for a while on this podcast. Why has Mike Rizzo not gotten a contract extension? Well, he got it, and we've moved on. And I know it was a very difficult day for you, Todd, because you just wanted five minutes, maybe ten minutes, to just get stuff done around the house. And clearly, the news was not going to allow you to do that over the weekend. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to say it was difficult to me, for me. Uh, it was just surprising as uh, news goes. You know, you think you're just covered in grass clippings and wondering if, you know, how much of this you're going to get done before the uh, daily pregame Zoom call uh, and then detonation. So, yeah, as you said, Mike Rizzo, three-year extension. Uh, they finally got to it. Um, he said – they started talking about seven to 10 days before it was finished, uh, put it down for a few days because the team went on the road, then picked it up. And, uh, you know, it, it just made too much sense this whole time, right? Like that's what we were constantly talking about is why is it September and, and this hasn't been figured out. Um, the learners know the commodity inside and out, right? Mike Rizzo knows the employer inside and out. There, there's no like, well, we're still trying to figure this out about you and I'm trying to figure this out about the organization. There's none of that. It's just two sides that completely knew each other and just had to figure out the math um, and not be just terrible, terrible negotiators. <laughs> that would seemingly be the only way to derail this, right? And they'd be like, uh, we'll give you one year and um, less money. You know, like that would be the only way that this would have been knocked off the tracks. But instead, three years, um, we haven't heard the money yet. I'm very curious about that. 
And now Mike Rizzo will continue to run the team that he has helped turn around and build into a perennial winner. Yeah, this was such an obvious move. I think it probably ranks among the easiest decisions the learners have ever had to make while running the Nationals, right? I mean, it's a guy who's completely indispensable, and it's not a $300 million contract over 10 or 11 years like some of these top players get. So it's pretty much an open and shut case, yet it still took this long, which is kind of interesting, right? I mean, Scott Boris wasn't involved, at least we don't think. He usually has his fingerprints on all of these sorts of negotiations with the learners. Um, they win the World Series. Um, it doesn't seem like it's that complicated of a decision. They say COVID may have played a role in negotiation, but you can still do these things on Zoom, right? I mean, we're doing this on Zoom right now. I feel like a lot more important decisions are being made around the world uh, these days than the, the contract of a guy running a baseball team. Um, but obviously good that they finally got it done and well-deserved. I mean, Mike Rizzo, we've talked about it on this podcast, how important he is to this whole operation. They won a World Series. Uh, they have the third best record in the league since 2012. And uh, they've done it all with a, a payroll that operates about 45, 50 million uh, below the top teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, one thing that really stood out to me as I sort of processed this extension and looked at Rizzo's tenure here is that their run of making the playoffs began in 2012, right? When they won 98 games. Well, there's only two players remaining on the roster from that team, Steven Strasburg and Kurt Suzuki, who left and came back. So Mike Rizzo's kept this competitive window open, and I think it still is open with Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Strasburg, Corbin, uh, you know, sticking around and, and relatively young. And he remained this, he kept this window open while completely turning over the roster. I think that's really impressive. And I think it really goes to show that this guy really knows what he's doing. And, and if you keep him around, then your chances of competing long-term are, are very, very good. Yeah, I, I don't buy the whole like COVID delayed this conversation at all. People <laughs> are doing doctor visits over Zoom and Teams and all that. So no, that shouldn't be anything that holds you back. If you want to say that it was money and agreeing to money, and that's fine. I think that's fair. And that's how any negotiation should go. But this is a no-brainer for this organization. The best position any organization in sports can be in is having somebody that constructs your roster that's really good at their job. And Mike Rizzo is really good at their job. You mentioned the Nationals' record since 2012, Chase. We can go back to 2009 when Rizzo actually took over. They had the seventh-best record in the majors. And that's going through years of a lot of losing. And they still have the seventh-best record in the majors since 2009 when Rizzo was there. This should have gotten done a long time ago, but we can at least move past that now because it is done. Now they've got to figure out what the next three years are going to look like under this, where they're going to go from here. And we're looking at a season now that's really starting to slip away. Slip away. And I made it be known. I know I said I thought they could still make the playoffs. I changed that last week, and I held the right <laughs> to be able to do that. They ain't making the playoffs. But – you, you can look at this season now and say, like, if, if there's ever a season to forget, there's ever a season to kind of look at as just almost extra credit. That's kind of what this is for the Nationals now. But, you know, they've got to figure out the direction that they go because they didn't do anything in the deadline. So they want to obviously keep young players around. They didn't try to go for let's win now and just squeak into the postseason. Okay, if your goal is to rebuild, you know, your farm system and get younger and give guys an opportunity to develop, but they now have to figure out a plan, not just for the rest of this year, but what does, what is everything we do now as a team on the field 
mean for just next year alone and what we're going to look? Because you may have the built-in excuse of, well, it was 60 games and you're playing during a pandemic and everything was a mess. And you're not going to have that if you're playing a full 162-game schedule come 2021. Yeah, and it's just been so weird and it just continues to be so weird. And, I think you used um, a lot of different words, Todd, by the way, in the last thing you wrote uh, on the yeah. site. It was, I think you used <laughs> 10 different adjectives to describe this season. Yeah, it's, it, the it's, very, it's been very well done by you. <laughs> well, it's been a challenging writing exercise, for sure, to, to kind of repeat myself um, in a different manner. And we, in that story that you were talking about, Nick, I was writing about what another thing that happened over the weekend, which was maybe the weirdest thing of all year, of all the year, that Mike Rizzo was thrown out of a baseball game while on the second level <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> Which, by the um, way, actually feels like par for the course for the season. That's becoming a regular thing for this team. They continue to lead the majors and people getting thrown out of the stands. Yeah, and, but it also, like, even how it transpired afterward wasn't normal. Like, the, the, the fact that he was thrown out of a game is not normal how the umpiring crew went about it is not normal. What MLB did afterward when releasing a statement about it that told us absolutely nothing is not normal. That there was no pool report is not normal. That Joe West independently went on the record with a single reporter. So good on Ben Walker, the Associated Press, one of their national baseball writers. Um, that is not normal because umpires don't Joe just West is not normal, Todd. Joe, Joe West, West is, is not, not normal, normal. Um, but has been in the league forever and is about to set the – well, next year we'll set the record for the most regular season games umpired in the history of Major League Baseball. He's currently second. So just the whole thing was beyond bizarre. It was so strange that the next day Davey Martinez said – I didn't. I was still confused. I didn't know what happened until I read about it. He he's the manager <laughs> of the Nationals, and talks to Mike Rizzo every day, and was on the field while everything transpired. Hey, and he didn't know what the hell was going on. Still not the most oblivious move in Nats managerial history, though. <laughs> no, Chase. What what would that be? A fight at the end of the dugout that somehow you don't see? Yeah, and then you put the guy back on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Things are very continually abnormal from time of game to general managers being ejected from the stands. Um, Chase, how are things with you? Normal? You, you have eight to 12 cats currently in the room that you are sitting in? Or? <laughs> uh, things are back to normal, and we'll, uh, you'll find out why later as we talk about a certain prospect who is now back. Oh, boy. It always Jesus, comes back Jesus. to that. By the way, Joe West reminds me of like that – old college professor that's on tenure that knows he's going to retire in like a year and just doesn't give a damn like just does not care what anybody thinks how he, he carries himself it's amazing to me that joe west could be this bad at his job for this long and have just no regard for how he interacts with other people how he inserts himself in so many different things and makes it about himself on the field he is the epitome of what you don't want to be as any sort of official in any sport. Yet he continues, he continues to be involved in this and not held accountable for anything that he does. Like, it's mind-blowing to me that this guy has the reputation that he has. And I remember you mentioned this, Todd, and what you wrote about, like, at least the NBA and the NFL will hold their officials accountable. It may not be the best system, but it's at least the system. In baseball, it's just like, 
eh, whatever, do, do whatever you want, guys. It, it, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's embarrassing. Well, and uh, Todd kind of buried the lead when it comes to his quote to the Associated Press. He was basically like, at the end, Trump 2020, peace. <laughs> Like, what, he did, why he did, did he throw that in there at the end? Why did he bring Donald Trump into this? Like, he literally so said, I would, I, I would throw him out of the game too if he was doing that, but I'd still vote for him. Yeah, it, was exactly. just, it was another way for him to just throw a dig in there that's unnecessary, right? He's like, let me throw some politics in here too so people will get even more riled up. Exactly. And as far as the two guys being involved here, um, you add it all up and it isn't all that surprising. Like Joe West, you know, as we've alluded to, it's not coincidental that these things always seem to happen when he's on the field and involved in the umpiring crew, right? But also Mike Rizzo, it, it's not surprising to me that he would be one of the Nationals figures to um, be heard on the field and get thrown out of a game. I, I've already said how Steven Strasburg sort of surprised me, but Mike Rizzo, he's a fiery guy. He's a very competitive guy, and this isn't the first time that he stood up for his team and been confrontational about it and, and gone public with something. Remember uh, a couple years ago, Juan Soto, the Braves broadcasters were questioning his age. He went up to the broadcast booth and confronted them. There was also that incident um, when Cole Hamels threw at Bryce Harper when he was a rookie. And, um, and Rizzo did an interview with the Washington Post later that night calling Cole Hamels fake tough. And I think he said like it was chicken bleep um, what he did. So this is sort of par for the course of Mike Rizzo. If we were going into the year and I were to rank, you know, who involved with the Nationals would get thrown out of a game. He'd be up there on the list. So would Todd Divis. I think I'd have uh, Max Scherzer on there. Uh, so we're still waiting for Todd to get heard from the press box when there's a rain delay or something. <laughs> yeah, we're so high up there. It would be very hard to, for anyone to hear us. You know who can hear us is uh, Nationals PR master Kyle Brostowitz, who unfortunately is just <laughs> one level down. And sitting in the concourse, he has this little table and a tent. And we have yelled at him from time to time about different topics. And he just shakes his head uh, at us, <laughs> rightly. Rightly shakes his head at us uh, when we shout at him from the press box. You know, got to do something, Chase. We're in there, we're in there a long, long time each day. So uh, we can't have our usual fun. And so we're trying to uh, adapt and accommodate um, everyone during this, as I said, strange, strange season. I do look forward to the snarky tweets from Todd as games go on, though. Whether it's like there's – rain delay is obviously the best one. Like, that's really become the, the ultimate, like, encompass of this season and you and just all lumped together is you having to deal with rain delays. But really all of that in general does, does make <laughs> me happy. So I – and I, I, I'm sorry that it's at your expense, Todd, but it's just, it, it is for our entertainment and that's really what you're here for. So. Hey man, didn't you have a backyard rain delay recently or something? <laughs> I did. Yes. So we'll save that for the walk-off at the end, but I'll give the full details of that. Yeah, that was story. poetic. Uh, yeah. But before we get to the reason why Chase is extremely happy because his, the love of his life will soon be uh, <laughs> back in the position that he belongs in. Davey Martinez still has a contract issue that's up and you know, first, it's just the fact that there is an option they have to pick up. And then there's the talk about an extension on top of that option. Uh, it, it's just weird. Like, I feel like we kind of come to expect this when it's with managers, even though the fact that, you know, Davey Martinez led them to a World Series and the team was successful last year, despite their 19 and 31 start. And really, I would almost say overlook this year because of everything that's gone on. But again, if they were going to win the World Series this year, it counts. It just depends. We just cherry pick how we feel about these things. But it is... 
with Mike Rizzo now locked up, the next conversation is, what do we do about Davey Martinez? Do they pick up his option, which you hope they do? Do they extend him on top of that? But they've always been very tentative when it comes to dealing with managers' contracts, one, and just paying them on top of that. So we really shouldn't be as surprised about this situation with Martinez right now. Yeah, it was really interesting that Mike Rizzo said he wants to basically throw out the old contract and just give him a new contract um, and, and do a multiple-year thing, not just pick up the option. Because you can't really put that back in the box once you say it in public, right? Like, he, he just kind of cornered the organization. But presumably, they had already, like, thought this through, and, and this is what they're trying to do before he says it out in public. So I would anticipate that happening soon. To your point, Nick, what's interesting is they could pick up the option and have another basically bargain basement year of Davey Martinez instead of giving him a significant raise now and in the future. They could pick up the option then say, hey, over the winter, we'll try to do, you know, or the middle of next year, we'll try to do something that they're talking about doing now and extend him and give him more money and that sort of thing. So that's a little different uh, for sure. And he was on his way just if they picked up his option, he would be the longest tenured. He would have been the longest tenured Nationals manager. If this was a normal year, he would have already crossed that threshold now. Wow. Um, so if he gets a three-year deal coming up, I mean – it's going to be like he founded the franchise because um, he'll be here <laughs> so long compared to the other managers who are being punted to the moon with regularity, no matter seemingly what happened prior. So uh, it makes sense. Uh, those guys seem to be in lockstep. And if you don't think, if you think the people in those positions are more vital than just the infrastructure around those positions or as vital then you obviously want to retain them as important people. I think in the past, we've seen the Nationals definitely look at managers and be like, eh, you know, we, if we give you a good team and you're an even semi-competent manager, we expect big things from you. Um, and maybe they've changed their tune a little bit on that now. Obviously, this is an easy decision, just like Mike Rizzo's. Um, and before it gets done, I think we just need to appreciate that the learners and the nationals, as Todd alluded to, have had so much instability at manager over the years. And even after winning a World Series, um, almost 11 months later, they still have technically some instability with manager. And that's, that's a question mark. Why they couldn't have done this right after they won the World Series, I don't know. I'll, I'll never get how rich people negotiate these sorts of deals. It just boggles my mind. Like, did they need to see more from him? Like, and was... What happened this season, is that part of the evaluation at all? Obviously, you would hope not because uh, things didn't go very well. But he proved himself. Give him the contract extension. And a three-year deal, I think, would be great because, um, you know, he's young enough to really – he's already grown into the role. And he's already proven enough, I think, to be the skipper of this team for a long, long time. Now, it was on a recent episode we talked about Mike Rizzo, David Martinez contract extensions, how those would become prevailing storylines. Well, if they're out of the way um, – it's going to be interesting to watch this team over the, the last few weeks um, as you get ready for the offseason and if they just play out the string as it looks like they might. Those storylines will all of a sudden not be in the picture. I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up his option and want to see him manage again another full season. 
I, I, I know so? it doesn't make sense, but I would not be surprised if that happened. I mean, if you look at the history of the way this organization has gone through managers and sort of put their feet to the fire a lot of times and going into, you know, the last year of their deal or not giving them extensions or making them prove themselves more, despite the fact that they won the World Series, you certainly could wonder, well, okay, does the trend that we're seeing now or the trends we're seeing with this team now carry over into next year? Like, let's say they give them a three-year extension and the team starts off next year, like 15 and 25 or something like that. Then they're going to sit there and go, well, we regret this. And I would bet that they're seeing things go on right now and thinking, let's give them a full season again. Let's see how it goes from there. And look, the rest of this year is pretty much development for them. And, And that's okay. I almost look at the rest of this, year is like extended spring training for them. We can sit there and say, maybe they can make a push for the postseason and fine. But like, if we're realistic, this becomes something that you look at starting with your guy, Carter key boom chase starting at third for the rest of the year. The only way that you're going to get players like Luis Garcia and Carter key boom better is by giving them that experience, giving them that opportunity to be out there on the field. And especially with somebody like Carter key boom, we know that he was, brought up last year and thrown in at shortstop. And then you're throwing him in at third with not a lot of experience. And it's like, well, Hey, we didn't want to pay Anthony Rendon. So guess what? It's your turn, Carter, get in there. Like you got to give the guy a chance to just fight through all of the mistakes. And we've certainly seen plenty of those in his times that he's been up in the majors, but this is what the rest of the season is going to have to be. And this will be a, a, this will be a, a good indicator too, of how Davey Martinez can help this team develop. And some of these young players develop with whatever they decide to do with whatever players there are the rest of this 2020 season. Chase, would you like to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, First of all, I love what they've done here. Bringing Carter Keboom back. We know. Saying he's the everyday third baseman. By the way, real quick, what what do you love more, cats or Carter Keboom? Cats. Okay, that's what I figured. Lifelong companions. Yeah, you're right. Um, But... but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, they, they say he's the everyday third baseman. We've heard this before. It ended up not being true. But at this point, it only makes sense. And he has looked a little bit better coming up. You know, he's got a couple of hits, walks, RBIs since coming back, uh, recalibrating his swing. It doesn't sound Over like Over 200, Chase. Woo! Yes. It doesn't sound like it was a major tweak uh, that was needed. But, you know, he, he is still making some, uh, like, questionable decisions defensively. So there's still some, t- some things that he ne- plenty that he needs to learn. Um, but you look at the sample size, like he, he, as we tape right now, he's only got 61 at-bats this season in the majors. So you need to get him as many of those as you can. And I don't know if they're going to be able to come up with a sample size that's enough to really make a determination for next year. I mean, he's going to end up playing about 40 games. Um, like I th- I've seen people say, well, they need to find out what they have in this guy so that they can plan for next year. But I don't know if that's even going to be enough of a sample size uh, to determine, okay, should we go out in free agency and sign a third baseman or should we trade for someone? I think at the very least, um, you know, if he continues on this course, you're probably going to want to have some depth at that position. So you have some options, but I don't think you can make a determination like, oh, this guy doesn't have it. We need to go in a different direction. What do you guys think? Is the sample size going to be enough? I think there are a lot of things going on first. Um, I definitely think he should have been sent down when he was. And I don't think you just treat prospects as, well, they're all prospects and they have to play through their failings no matter what. And you let them just keep going. Um, It's a case by case basis. And that's basically what Davey Martinez explained 
when I asked him, you, David Martinez said, it's the perfect season to have Luis Garcia up and figure, learning and figuring things out and getting accustomed to the major leagues. And while he said that, Carter Keeboom was in Fredericksburg. <laughs> so why, why is it not the perfect season to have him up and just let him do the same thing? Um, and it was because he was basically getting overwhelmed at the major league level. You know, his, his, all his numbers were declining. Uh, he was hitting 200 and slugging 200 when he went down. Um, and Garcia, when, you know, he dipped and he still is kind of reckless at the plate, basically. He just swings a lot at everything because he can make a lot of contact. Um, so, but they, they saw him kind of absorb failure in a different way. And so they thought Kibum needed to reset and come back. Um, whereas Garcia could stay and, and deal with his failings at the major league level um, and still have a good kind of positive outlook after the fact. Obviously everybody gets frustrated in baseball. Um, it's enormously frustrating and it's a totally a game of failure. So, you know, that that's understandable when you see anybody do it, whether they're 22, 23 or 33. Uh, as far as bringing him back, they now it's the right thing to do, right? Like he was failing a lot and they were still trying to win and they thought they could sneak into the postseason. And now that's basically out, out the door and he has to play the rest of the way. One of the people who said, we need to see what we've got is, is David Martinez. And so I think, they're trying to determine now the strange twist of this is they're more trying to determine what his problem is at the plate, as opposed to if he can be viable defensively. I still think he should be a first baseman or on the right side of the infield, you know, at a minimum, especially considering how the roster is constructed and what's going to happen next year um, at, at that position. I think he would be better served being over there. I think he could probably turn into a pretty good first baseman. Uh, based would you on start what, him you know, at first base next year? I would think about it. Sure. I would think about platooning him too at, at first base, you know, let him face left-handed pitching as much as possible, you know, and kind of going from there. But since he's been back, his, his average has actually dipped. Again, it's a small sample size, as we keep saying, but it's the only sample size. You know, he, his OPS plus right now is 52 and league average is 100. He's slugging 197. Um, his fan graphs numbers continue to show that he has good plate discipline. He strikes, he swings at pitches in the strike zone quite often, um, which you would think would give him better results, but instead he's always hitting stuff to right field and his contact rate isn't very good, even though he's predominantly swinging at good pitches. And that tells you that there's a flaw in there somewhere. So he's either missing or he's late and they're trying to figure out why, uh, because that certainly was not the case at the AAA level or certainly below that too. And I think that's the main thing they're trying to figure out. Two main things they're trying to figure out. Why, why is he late in his contact rate low? They thought he was going to hit, right? And they were worried about the defense. And, and two, just kind of how is his mental processing of everything going on? Because we've seen some pretty severe reactions from him on the field. At, and, and again, as I mentioned, Everyone gets frustrated. We saw Max Scherzer slam down his glove, you know, a week ago, right? After his six innings start, because um, he was pissed. So that happens for everyone. I, and I don't want to single out Kiboom in that capacity, but they saw it enough that they thought, you know what, we, we need to clear his head a little bit um, and, and try to start this thing over. 
Hey, by the way, speaking of uh, righties versus lefties, uh, did it stand out to you guys on uh, Monday night, Tampa's lineup? There was only one right-handed batter. They had eight lefties. Yeah. And that's one of the things with Tampa, right? They, they, this is why they can win and spend $50 million or whatever their ridiculous payroll is because they have versatility and they're arguably the you know, model franchise now in Major League Baseball for how to certainly how to do more with less if, if you're a, a mid-market team. Yeah, Tampa's really always been that organization, and watching them continue to succeed with this is it is it is impressive. I mean, can you imagine having the restrictions that you know you would have trying to run an organization like that? And we talk about you know Rizzo maybe having restrictions in terms of how much he can spend on the bullpen. Try try doing that down there in Tampa, but you know you're right when it comes to Carter Keboom and his confidence because this is always the difficult thing for so many athletes to deal with that struggle at the highest professional level especially ones that had expectations or, you know, for themselves or other people had those where they're supposed to be the next great, whatever, or just at least a really good player. He certainly has had those expectations for himself. And there were people that had those expectations for him as well. Chase aside, because Chase, we know already has him (laughs) knocked in for like three or four MVPs by the time his career is done, but he's just (laughs) got to figure it out because if this continues, let's say on into next season, you're going to start to wonder whether he can ever get it back. And I know that sounds like a doomsday scenario, but that's realistic because baseball is very much a game where guys that aren't there mentally, aren't focused or aren't confident can completely lose sight of, of what they were able to do in the past and just lose that ability to be consistent and play consistent baseball. And it just, it starts to spiral out of control and, I don't, I certainly hope it, it never gets there, but I think of just an extreme example of like Rick Ankiel years ago. And obviously came back as, 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 you know, playing not as a pitcher anymore and was able to kind of revive his career. But you think of him as a pitcher and just how wild it got her. Chuck Knobloch, who couldn't throw to first base. This, like these mental hurdles that some guys have to get over in baseball can sometimes be too much. And you want to make sure that he doesn't get to that point. You know who I thought about in all this is Dustin Ackley. And I don't know if you guys remember him. He, do, he was yeah. the number two, number two pick after yeah. Strasburg, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everybody, all scouts and everyone in the major leagues was like, Dustin Ackley's going to hit at the major league level. He's second baseman. He's going to hit at the major league level. Worst case scenario, you move him over to first. Left-handed bat. Swing looked a lot like Don Mattingly's swing, um, just his path and his finish and all this stuff. And I was working in Seattle, right? When, when he showed up and he was okay his first year. And then he hit 226 and then he hit 253. Then he hit 245 and they were pretty obstinate about sending him down. And so they did the thing where we're just going to let him keep playing, let him keep playing. And he just kept striking out and he couldn't find a rhythm and he would have blips where he'd have a good week and then it wouldn't work. And then eventually he went to the Yankees. And so he was drafted number two overall in 2009. And then by 2016, when he was 28, he had 70 plate appearances for the Yankees. And now he's out of baseball. Um, wow. So it like, and so everyone is different is, is the point I'm trying to make, right? It's just, it's not just you're in a vacuum and this guy's a prospect and you relentlessly play him no matter what in order for him to figure things out especially at the major league level, because if you have a defined hole in your swing offensively, everybody's going to know. And then 
at the major league level, everyone's going to throw the ball there over and over and over, right? Like you can course correct in Fresno because the talent, they may know, but the talent isn't able of executing, putting the ball there over and over and over, right? Here, every dude who comes in the game basically can do that. And they're going to do it at either at 99 miles an hour, or they're going to do it with nasty off-speed stuff or whatever it may be. So it's much, much more difficult to correct yourself. Um, and this is one of the fascinating things about Juan Soto. He can see two pitches and then he goes, oh, they're trying to do this because my swing is like that. So I'm going to do this instead and then wham to left field, right? Something like that. So um, that's the separator at this level because the pitchers are so talented. And if you can't figure that out, then the rut you're in is one that you're never going to come out because they're going to keep pushing you back into it. That uh, Seattle team had a brutal run of prospects that were yes. high draft picks that I, I mm -hmm. thought were can't miss. I wouldn't even have uh, pointed to Ackley. I would have said probably Mike Zunino or um, Danny Holson. Danny, Danny Holson out of UVA was the number two pick, I believe, right? Lefty right. pitcher. Yes. Yep. He, he could pitch and hit. It was like, okay, well, if he can't do this one thing, you could go, he could do the other. Um, yep. But injuries just completely yeah, derailed his career. Um, I mean, there, there, there's certainly a precedent that's been set, Chase, for guys that just don't make it at the professional level. I know you feel differently, but I, I've seen next to nothing from Carter Keboom that gives me confidence that he's going to be a consistent player at the major league level. Just, just haven't seen it. And I know it's, it's certainly not a huge sample size yet, but it's, it's not uncommon for something like this to happen. And if he can't get it right soon, I, I just – I, I don't know where his career is going to take him, but I, I just have very little confidence in him right now at this level. So this, the rest of this year is really going to be, it, it's going to be very important for them to help him try and get some confidence moving forward. I've seen, I think this podcast is the, is the spectrum where Nick, you say that I I'm in between, um, you know, cause he, he's definitely a talented kid um, and, and a smart one. And then of course, Chase uh, is like, has been working on, <laughs> The Hall of Fame bust all season, so uh, ch chiseling it in his bathroom and shooing away the cat while he's trying to get this thing done. You mean the cats? It's plural. You know that. There's multiple cats in Chase's house. Well, well this is the basement cat, Nick. Oh, you're right. You know, you're the, right. He goes downstairs to do the bust, and the basement cat's like, meow, meow, where you been? I'm down here in the basement while my 14 <laughs> sisters are upstairs living the life with you. <laughs> Couldn't you, you just should... picture Chase just laying around watching Carter Keboom film with cats just crawling all over him? I could definitely <laughs> see that being what he does. You should see the, uh, the powder room cat. <laughs> He's crazy. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I've seen signs offensively. I really like the idea that Todd's thrown out there of just kind of moving him across the infield, putting him at first base. I mean, maybe that would uh, eliminate some of the defensive concerns, and it could be more about his offense, um, you know, uh, the Nationals have some experience doing that with a guy at third who had some question marks defensively. You move him over to first, all of a sudden he looks much better. I'm talking about Ryan Zimmerman, who, of course, had uh, an injury um, play a role in it, but he had the yips thrown to first as well. Um, you know, you mentioned Knobloch and, and Rick Ankeel. Um, but as far as uh, Keyboom goes and putting him at third, I, I think the Nats shouldn't just stop there in terms of player development uh, moves. Uh, going through the course of the season. I'd love to see Tanner Rainey close some games. Um, I'd love to see Seth Romero, if he can get healthy. It's not his pitching hand that he broke. Um, maybe make a start, you know, maybe in one of those final series against the Phillies or the Mets. Um, and I, I think in general, you know, you, 
you mentioned um, Nick earlier about sort of the fact that Mike Rizzo is going to be the GM of this team for three more years, and it'll take him to 15 total years uh, being in charge of this organization. Um, I saw someone, I believe it was Mark Zuckerman point out, well, moving forward, they got to figure something out with their starting pitching because Max Scherzer's 36 years old. You have Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg signed long-term, but Strasburg's got this injury. Um, you know, starting pitching, I think sort of replenishing that, hopefully maybe getting some youth in there, um, but some more stability at the back end, I think is going to be a big determinant in terms of their window and their competitive chances moving forward. So I, th I think you want to try to bring some of these young guys in and, and see if Will Crow can give you something. Uh, you know, he's one of your top prospects technically. Um, I mentioned Romero. So I'd like to see them look at what they're doing with Carter Keeboom and apply that to other positions over these final few weeks. Treat this like just extra, it's like bonus time for these young players. There's no service time concerns for like Jackson Rutledge and uh, Cade Cavalli, I don't think either. So uh, bring, bring them up, G give them some opportunity. I mean, why not? Especially if you're 10, 11, 12 games under 500 down the final couple weeks of the season, just do it. Just, just give these guys an opportunity because yeah, like you said, like the one thing with this organization, Chase, that has been, well, there's multiple things, but one of the biggest things they've done well is building up that farm system and having young players ready to go as like the next man up, right? And, and we haven't seen that as much. It's not as prevalent over the last couple of seasons. So this is an opportunity for really them to get just early looks at some of these players when it comes to the rotation, when it comes to figuring out their infield too. And you know what? Maybe Carter Keeboom becomes a great first baseman. First base is certainly a question mark for this organization moving forward as well. So take every opportunity you can. Maybe you try him at both positions. I, I don't know. Like you have nothing to lose except baseball games and you're already losing them this year anyway. And it's 60 games and the season's almost done. And then Todd can be happy again because there's no more rain delays he has to deal with. And then everybody's <laughs> happy. And also they want to find a way to keep him Garcia slash Castro and Trey Turner as the infield because that's a very inex inexpensive infield to pull off uh, three of the four positions in, in that manner. So even if you move Keeboom the first, you know, you're still financially in a good spot at third base. The thing to me is what they're going to do in right field. And we'll get all into this uh, in the coming weeks as kind of the, the season slows down and then obviously the off season. But um, I can't imagine they pick up Adam Eaton's option uh, it's a $12 million option. So you have to figure out if you're going to spend some money in the outfield, but you have at least four, if not five um, spots that can be dirt cheap for you, especially relative to their production going into the next year. And that's Juan Soto and Victor Robles continue to be stuck in the team control system and well, you know, Juan Soto, if this was a regular year, would be making like $627,000 and be an MVP candidate. You can't get much, you can't get better ROI than that. And at, at short, Trey Turner, you know, is finally in arbitration and making a little bit of money, but not relative to his performance. Um, and obviously, Luis Garcia and Carter Keboom are just getting started uh, and they're as, as cheap as they will ever be. So, you know, you're able to spend kind of in those other spots and or maybe behind the plate if you're interested in a certain veteran catcher who is going crazy in Philadelphia. <laughs> where does, uh, by the way, we've talked about contract extensions. Where does a Max Scherzer 
potential deal with only one year left uh, factor in. I know we'll get to the offseason soon, but I'm just wondering, like, okay, Rizzo gets done, Davey gets done. What's the next thing that we can all bicker about? Yeah, no, and I, and I think it's that, you know, with, with one year to go. And I think it's less about the money and how many years you give him. Uh, I, I think he's going to be pretty amenable to, to most things, you know. He's obviously worried about setting any precedent via the union, but something – near the Verlander terms, I'm, I'm sure would be more than acceptable to him. It's just whether they, they think he's going to be able to make 30 starts each year of whatever would come after he turns 37 years old. Uh, the intriguing thing to me about him has always been kind of the Smoltz route. Is there a scenario where he ends up in the back of the bullpen at some point? But obviously you don't want a $20 million back of the bullpen guy, right? <laughs> uh, so so we'll see. I, I, I do think they have some options there with how they can use him, how they can protect him. Um, and I also think, and we had this discussion around Jason Worst's contract, uh, there, there's more than just the on-field performance there that, that's beneficial to the organization. So in, in some ways, you'd be paying for some of that too, because he remains the model and the standard for how to work and how to get your act together so you can maximize your performance uh, everyone on the pitching staff, you know, looks up to him for that, for those things that he does um, in between his starts. So, yeah, so, that's a fact. So if he goes the John Smoltz route, I'm looking at uh, baseball reference. Uh, Smoltz converted to a closer at age 34. He got 154 saves, making the all-star team uh, twice, getting MVP votes three times. And then he converted back to a starter at age 38, uh, was an all-star twice and a Cy Young candidate uh, two more times. Pretty amazing trajectory if you think about it. Uh, and if that's the case for Scherzer, then uh, we can get used to seeing him pitch for the Nationals maybe for uh, many more years, even though he's 36. If you, can, if you can stretch it out, I mean, listen, this was an old team that won the World Series and now has still a lot of questions. And the questions are only going to continue. That's why you need some of these young prospects to come up and prove that they can play at this level. But if, if – Max Scherzer goes the John Smoltz way in terms of career trajectory. I think we'd all take it. I don't think there's anybody that would complain if he's with the organization as a, a closer and then back to a start. I actually forgot Smoltz <laughs> did go back to being a starter again. That's just such a, like, that's such a unique way to end your career the way that he did. So, all right, Chase, I'll let you go first. Walk off time. I got a doozy one, but I'm going to let you go first. Uh, mine is Nats related. It's building off something that I uh, mentioned last episode where the Nationals might be having one of those rare bottom out seasons where you go from first to worst after winning the World Series. Well, I actually wrote an article and uh, looked at the numbers and the Nationals are actually on pace for the second worst season for a defending World Series champion in MLB history. Second only to the 1998 Florida Marlins who are still famous to this day for winning the title <laughs> and then tearing it all down immediately to save money, right? They just made all sorts of trades. They traded Kevin Brown. They traded uh, Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla uh, the following season. Um, but the Nats, if you look at their win percentage as of today, it's gotten a little bit better because they've won three or four, but they're still on pace for – it would be a 61-win season over the course of 162. Just a few days ago, they were on pace for a worse season – uh, win percentage-wise than the 2008 and 2009 teams that got them the number one picks in Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper. Potential it's, to have uh, the worst season in Nationals history, maybe even the worst season in franchise, especially the fact that this season's shorter. You know, it's not as painful to watch over 162 games. It's just amazing to me that, like, yeah. none of it matters. It, it would be 
it would be interesting to see uh, if they could use this almost to their advantage in a short period of time, which is why, hey, listen, we, nobody ever uses the word tanking in baseball, but you know what? If there's ever a season to tank, this would be the perfect time for them to do it. So just ride this out and play the young guys and develop them the rest of the year, which is the nicer way of saying it. Uh, you mentioned mine. Yes, we had a tornado go through my area uh, where I live in Maryland, like a legit tornado. Apparently it was only an F1 and it destroyed so much stuff, which is scary to think of what some of these bigger, scarier ones are. Uh, two big branches took out our fence. It has been fixed, thankfully, Chase. But good Lord, I mean, there was destruction all over where I am. And it was just this small area that we are near the water. Like, and that's it. It just went in like a straight line through this and hit a couple of neighborhoods. And I mean, that's it. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, the, the, our phones are going off with all the emergency alerts. And we don't have a basement. A lot of people don't have basements around here because they can get gross when you're near the water. And so we're like, I guess we're going to stand in the middle of the house. And I mean, there's... The last few days, all we've heard is like chainsaws and giant tree-eating machines and, and, and weed whackers and, and leaf blowers just trying to clean up the disaster that was around here. We lost power from 3.30 in the morning till about 5 o'clock on – it was Thursday night into Friday. And it's just been – I mean, there's just was stuff everywhere. Cars are smashed. There's a few houses that are pretty much totaled because one house had two trees that were sitting right next to each other, fall in the house and just completely crush it. As far as I know, people are all okay around here, which thankfully that's the case from what I know, but I, I, you know, I don't know totally, but I mean, news helicopters were flying all around the area, getting footage of this. It was, it was crazy, man. Like it looked like, it looked like a war zone when it was all done. Thankfully, you know, it was just our fence and it wasn't worse. And we're not even, I mean, we're building a house now. So we're sitting here just renting this and I didn't really have to do that much work. I just helped the people that own the house, put it back. But <laughs> you know, I was like, I'd rather a fence get knocked over than a house. But I mean, it was, it was definitely a very crazy experience, but things have been repaired as much as they need to right now. Thankfully. Did you hear the tornado? No, we didn't really hear it, but I mean, we had winds get up to like probably close to 80 miles an hour right here. It wasn't, so there's different kinds of tornadoes. There's it's like the, you know, the kind you see out in like the Midwest where it just comes down and it's like the big skinny funnel cloud. And it, this was more of like a big giant cloud that had a ton of rain in it. So I guess it's a different, there's different types. I don't know what it is. My wife looked up the different types. I have no idea the differences, but this was, I mean, the pictures of it, it just looked like a giant, like you ever seen those, those, I guess they're really mostly memes where it's always like, meanwhile in Australia, and it shows these really crazy looking storm clouds coming in. That's what it looked like. So it didn't have the sound of like a freight train coming through, but I mean, the wind certainly felt like it. I mean, things are blowing sideways, and it was just, it was utter chaos. So They had a fire tornado in California. Yeah. Jeez. That's actually like another kind of tornado. It's, it's, was that started by the gender reveal party? Yes. Wow. Yeah, gender reveal parties need to stop. Can we now stop them? Can this be the end of them? <laughs> I, would, I would love that to be the case. Do you have a walk-off, Todd? No. Okay. <laughs> and that's all we need. That's how we wrap it up. If you haven't subscribed to the Nats Talk podcast, of course, you know to do that wherever you're listening to it right now. In fact, uh, give us a follow on Twitter and Todd's on Friendster and MySpace still if you want to follow him there. He may have uh, a walk off only on social media. We'll talk to you next time.